Doesn't he have a Kim Jong Un bumper sticker on his car? Probably. <laughs> chronicle concerning the mundane, weird, and maybe even sometimes dramatic happenings of a simple fantasy baseball league. This podcast captures the thoughts and musings of Greg, Joe, Jack, and Tim, four of the ten owners in the league. This is episode six, entitled Holographic Fantasy Baseball. So, Joe, we had an interesting week last week in the Juiceless League. We had a lot of close games. What stood out for you when you look at the games that we had in the league? The fact that uh, 47 Ronin have all of a sudden become a juggernaut is disturbing. Um, I didn't think they were going to be a horrible team, but they're just crushing people now. Um, yeah, well. <laughs> Two-week juggernaut, man. It's the name of my punk band. The The... So here's what's happening with my team. I, I talked about this in a previous episode, but the uh, you have players that go on hot streaks and cold streaks. That's what baseball is, right? Regression of the mean is the only law of baseball. And unfortunately, I have a team that right now the algorithm is producing points all at the same time, which means uh, I'm winning some games now that frankly I could win with 15 less points. And, and then I'm going to be in some other games where they're all going to be regressing and I'm going to be in trouble. So I appreciate what you're saying, but actually last week. And and as somebody who's scoring a lot of points right now, I'm, I'm sure you're concerned that uh, Mikey is, is consistently scoring a lot of points. Um, I, I was, frankly not sweating my game because I thought I had lost on Saturday. In fact, you and I had a text conversation about, oh boy, that's a really close game. And I said, wait a minute, I was six points behind the last time I looked. And sure enough, we're virtually tied and somehow I squeaked it out. You know, poor, poor uh, Mikey can't score any points and he's getting pounded. Uh, Mike Sr. rather is, is getting pounded every week. Um, although Again, that was a close game, as you as you said. Um, I did not see uh, Smokeland Pathetics uh, underperforming the way they have. I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm 
maybe Greg knows his team better than we all think we do. I, I, it was, it was a, it was a close week for everybody, but, uh, at the, at the end of the day, except for Jack and, and Greg, uh, you know, what I'll say, close, right. Greg, yeah. my game, it was pretty close no. until you got to the weekend, right? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, mean, it was, yeah. It was closer than, than it, the it was score. comfortably out of hand all week. It wasn't <laughs> annihilation. You know, I, I, I did send Jim Mora Sr. a note uh, on Sunday, Sunday night, you know, when uh, I felt like a, a kindredness to him that I'd never felt before. And I, you know, in terms of his playoffs, playoffs, talking about the playoffs, you know, I sent him a note just saying, hey, dude, I get it. You know, uh, don't, don't sweat it. And, you know, Denny Green, God, God rest his soul, if he were still alive and with us, I would uh, be sending him a note as well. But, you know, they are who we thought they are. Yeah, but, uh, you know, it was a good week. I mean, um, you know, my, my pain aside, it's definitely uh, the races are shaping up, and there's, some, there's definitely some interest in these games because, um, you know, the Champions Division, I think we're, we're seeing probably what we thought we would see in terms of, some uh, strong performances and, and what's going to be a very competitive division. Um, and then we're, we're seeing the emergence of a new strong team out of uh, one of the other divisions and some surprises up and down, both the dreamers and the omission commission. Uh, they, they continue to be compelling storylines uh, as the season's, uh, you know, rounding into its first uh 20% done, you know, right? As we go into this week. Yeah, I think we're going to see a lot of changes too. I mean, it's 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 still way early to worry about it. I guess that goes back to the conversation about can you lose a championship in the in, in April? It's been said a bunch of times. It's a it's a long long season. We're starting to see I, I think I always I I've always said three games is is a trend. You know, one or one or two is is just an anomaly. Three games is starting to become a trend. So we're starting to see people move in certain directions. You know, what's hurt, I mean, it certainly hurt my team, and I think what's the, the most surprising is, uh, you know, pitching staffs. You know, we're, we're not taking uh, flyers on a single player. We're making calculated decisions based upon, uh, you know, 12-man composition, and that should theoretically be a little bit less risky. But, I mean, the Cubs, I mean, they're killing me. Not that I would be winning games if they were performing up to their standard, but I think that by and large we're seeing a lot of surprising performances out of pitching staffs, both uh, to the detriment of teams and to the um, to the benefit of teams in some cases. If it makes you feel any better, I was really pissed that you took the Cubs because I was going to take them, assuming that they were going to be there. Well, I mean, again, not not to adopt a Pirates-like mentality, but I'm already thinking to myself, all right. You know, Theo's going to make some moves. It'll likely be too late for, for me to enjoy the benefits of those moves for the, you know, vis-a-vis the Cubs staff. But maybe, just maybe, I have the hope of some, some appealing trade chip to one of, the, one of the strongly performing teams that can get rid of the Cubs for something. I don't know what. You know, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll go for Mark Reynolds after uh, you know, Tim, Tim so brilliantly moved him last week. So, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all ears when it comes to pitching staff. So um, Jack is going to be talking uh, throughout the first half of the season about trade techniques. And, and I used one which was simply 
uh, begging. So I begged Joe, you know, please, can I have the Yankees? And so I was so happy to get the Yankee staff. I didn't use them this week because the Giants had seven games, and I thought, well, geez, they, they can't do as bad as they did. But I feel much better having the Yankees in fantasy. But it's a rule, and it's kind of funny, Joe, because have you ever had the Yankees pitching staff before? I've had them three times, okay. and yeah. I feel like I, I feel like a whore every time yeah. I, I have them on my team, and I almost never use them. That's exactly it. And they were they were in Boston this week, and I said, I just I can't do it. I, I simply I, cannot. I do understand that. completely. I can't. I, do I, it. I I was actually happy to. Uh, Happy to move them. Yeah. I, although I, I was, I was, and, and I'll tell you this now, I was actually just going to drop them in a week or two. So. Oh, well, you got <laughs> Brian Hayes out of pick it. Pick up then. a, try, try and find a hot outfielder, but. Thanks, man. I got something Thanks. for him, so I'm okay with that. Thanks. Thanks. You, you just made me feel dirty there. Um, so <laughs> I, the game I was watching was the Punks and Lethal Injection. The, the, the only two undefeated teams, and and they were within one point almost the entire week. And it came down to Sunday. Lethal Injection really had uh, a big day. I think Thames hit a home run. Actually, I think he hit a home run tonight, guys, too, uh, Eric Thames. And he had two last night. He had two last night. Was he night. at 15 now? Yeah. 11, I So I was sending uh, Mikey, the owner of Lethal Injection, uh, pictures of Eric Thames' forearm and saying, you know, they clearly don't test in uh, in the Far East. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But, you know. Well, check. that was funny because I, I was talking to a Milwaukee Brewers fan today, and he was just really angry that everybody's talking about, oh, he's, he's juicing, he can't. It was, it's, it's, you're not the only person that's thinking that, obviously. He's juicing. Take a look at him. He is juicing. I will put a picture up of his arm uh, on on the site. He that guy, no human is that big. Although, in Mikey's defense, you know what? It really doesn't in, matter. He hasn't been caught, so all those home runs he's hitting count. I um, I like the fact that baseball is focused on being clean. I like seeing guys at the plate that don't look like inhuman uh, creatures. And uh, I I I. You know, I give Mikey a tough time, and in fantasy, you're saying, "Hey, it's an asset. I'm going to use that asset." But he looks like the guys used to look back in the '90s. And so, what you're saying is that that Mikey's logo is actually saying he did. He sent me a, a hilarious text about you know um, several other guys you know hanging out with Thames, uh, and it is called Lethal Injection. He he really he kind of made made fun of it, but. Back in the 90s, uh, what we would do is there were, there were uh, I don't know if you call it a dog whistle or code, but when you heard a guy came to camp um, uh, and had an off-season conditioning program and came back 25 pounds heavier and it's all muscle, <laughs> that is a guy that you wanted on your league. And at that time, it wasn't a dynasty league. We were doing uh, drafts. And Brady Anderson, the Orioles camp, <laughs> came to camp and he had put on 25 uh, pounds of muscle because of this phenomenal mm-hmm. off-season workout regime, or regimen, rather. And I got him, and he hit 40 home runs. And, you know, I look back on that, and I, I still think, like, ugh, that, that's not really about baseball, right? That's about who has the best pharmaceuticals. And um, so Eric Thames is an interesting thing, and you it's funny, Joe. 
you know me well and you know I picked up on that and kind of was ribbing Mikey on that. And I, hey, I would have, you know, taken him too, but I don't like that. I don't, I don't like. Well, I don't I, want it to be a part of the game because I, you and I have had this conversation, Tim, about, I, I always, when I think of the steroid era, I think about the guy that hit 35 home runs several years in a row that nobody cares about and is not in the conversation for the Hall of Fame because there were all these other guys doing it. And he's the guy that was clean and managed to do all that stuff. And we don't care about him, you know, in, in, in the history of the game. You know, well, who that's that why, is, I can't tell you. But. Well, no, I think that's why we chose or we proposed the name Griffey Division, yeah. you know, for the winner's division. Because, I mean, Ken Griffey Jr., I, I'm sure he's not boo-hooing too much because he's done pretty well for himself. But, you know, he would have been in the inner ring of all-time greats were it not for the era in which he played. You know, and the knock on him is he got injured, um, you know, as he aged a little bit. It's because he wasn't juiced up. I mean, the poor guy was putting it out there every day clean and had an amazing career. But, I mean, it really was kind of an afterthought, you know, when Rafael Palmero's out slugging you. Um, you know, it's just such an un- unfair um historical uh, effect on him, you know, it, uh, you yeah. are 100% yeah. right. And it, it it's, I, again, it, as a professional sport for, for, for the entire sport to, to really take this on, uh, I think is something that makes me proud of being a baseball fan. Because if you look at NFL, I mean, come on and tell me those guys aren't on some kind of performance enhancing drug. And, you know, I think as a game, it, 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 as an institution, it took, it took the hard road. And you know what, um, Greg, I know you, you and I have worked together and we, we've continually tried to do the right thing at times in the face of being incented or even directed to do the, the, the not great thing. And so when I see something as powerful as a major sport do that, it means something to me. So I, you know, maybe not. And I, sh- I it's, it's a shame that I'm aligning him. And, and again, to his credit, or at least in his defense, when I look at the photos of him with the Toronto Blue Jays, he was pretty big then too. So, you know, well, you know. well I guess my question is what is the, you know, in, in NFL, uh, you know, the, one of the Steelers, the Steelers kicker kicked six field goals in a game. And so he had a random drug test on the Monday after the game. So if if we're all looking at pictures of Thames' arms in astonishment, what's to stop MLB from rolling in there on Monday and asking for a quote unquote random test? Maybe they already have. That's a great point. That's a great point. Well, but I don't know. I don't really know how the MLB operates or how they how they roll if they're that blatant or if they do have some sort of bizarre randomization that they stick to. Well, and you know that the, the the people that are that are cheating the game are are always one step ahead of the enforcement of it. So whatever the next version of steroids is going to be, whether it's HGH or something like that, we're already into it. We just don't know what it is yet. Brought up a great point too was the injury recovery time, mm-hmm. and so that has changed the way we look at our league in terms of how we build our depth because we know that players cannot come back as fast 
because they don't have access to those types of chemical enhancements. So um, the only other game that I think is really important to note was, uh, Joe, you getting your first win by um, point two, two tenths of a point over your uh, 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 the, the Dreamers, your, your biggest competitor, I think well-acknowledged, your biggest competitor in that league, uh, excuse me, in that division. Although, you know, maybe I shouldn't speak so fast, but um, anyway. Uh, and I will point out that I did have seven stolen bases and he only had two. Brilliant strategy. Is that, is that did, what saved me? Didn't you tell us that wasn't your strategy? I'm all confused now. I'm, I'm all confused. I don't know what to take. No, it was it was the national staff not giving up 18 runs in one game this week. Ah. Whitey Herzog is smiling down on you from heaven. <laughs> I'm not sure that's where he is. But... excited about this next segment. We thought it'd be a great idea if at times we could call in or have other owners call into us and talk about their team and maybe give you a little insight as to who else is in the league beyond just Greg, Joe, Jack, and myself. And uh, I had an opportunity to connect with Dusty, who is a co-owner of the Dreamers team. And Dusty was outside doing some yard work and he was really happy to stop doing the yard work and he spent some time with us and I had a blast talking to him. So hopefully you have a blast listening to him as well. And I'm going to jump right into the beginning of the phone call and give you a chance to get to know who Dusty is and what he thinks about baseball, the dreamers and uh, really interesting thoughts on coaching. Enjoy. So we have Joe Machado and Greg Crow. On a call. All right. And Joe owns Reardon Metal in our league. And Great. Greg, and I hate Greg, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it, well, it's interesting, man. He pays attention to your team a lot. Um, and we have Greg Crow, who owns Smokeland Pathetics. Not much um, better, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Just to bring you in the loop, so this is the fifth episode. We're doing uh, a podcast called The Juiceless Chronicles, and we're chronicling the the juiceless season. And so we've been going through uh, each week the power rankings. We've been going through, uh, you know, pickups, transactions, just really chronicling this this crazy league that we're in and having a blast with it. And um, one of the things we thought would be great is if we had – owners come on the podcast and so we could learn more about you learn more about your love of baseball who your team is i mean things that that i know right and i know you but you know i think it would be awesome for greg and and joe to to know more about you and then also just you know for our non-existent audience 
um, to, yeah. to, to, to learn about you. Right. And, um, yeah. and just to get your, and then the other part is we like to talk just generally baseball. Everybody in this league is a, is a fanatical baseball fan. I know you're a fanatical baseball fan. And so I wanted to connect with you and have you connect with these guys and just kind of run through some questions and give you an op- basically interview you uh, about your team and about your your love of baseball and, and so on and so forth. So you're game with this? I'm game with it. I mean, normally of my partnership with Eldon, they say I'm the beauty of the group. <laughs> and he's more brains, but I'll do what I can. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I would based totally- on your record, it's better to have the beauty on, I guess. that's true yeah when you're bad i guess you might as well have something to take home well we we were pretty high on you in preseason and and i think you guys were were pretty pumped as well um you know how do you think it's going so far it's only this is only week four right it's it's not it's not the end of this just a 19 game season before we get into the tournament but what you know what are you thinking about your team and what has kind of surprised you up and then surprised you kind of down um, well, yeah, we got hurt quickly. Um, after the first week, we had a really good, good, uh, week. We scored a lot of points and we were like, oh yeah, here we go. We're on our way. And then it's kind of bottomed out. Donaldson went out. Um, Martinez has been out. So, and last year, those were like our top two guys. And now we don't have either one of them. And it kind of makes you think how injuries really play into like pro teams too. Cause you think it's one guy, two guys, not that big a deal, but it's killing us right now. So that's been frustrating. And, um, what was that? Uh, dusty, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just saying, you know, with those two out and we thought we had some decent depth and that kind of thing to overtake that, but it just hasn't, hasn't panned out so far. It's been frustrating, but like you said, it's early. So hopefully we can get on a run. Yeah, Otherwise we- it's, well, we were looking at. Um, so wait, before I get more into the team, let, let me just talk a little bit about a little bit about you. So um, we've been friends for several years. Uh, you, you're part of a group of people that go to spring training. That's how I got to know you, and uh, you know, instantly just thought the world of you. And uh, just a little background on yourself. Um, since I've known you, you actually um, uh, got engaged, married, and now you have two children. So, yeah. yeah. So now you're like us, right? Your life is over. You're lowest on the totem pole as dad. And, um, but, uh, through it all, you've, you've had a tremendous love for your team. So can you talk a little bit about, uh, who your baseball team is, the love of your team and how it was that you came to be a fan of that team? Yeah. Um, so I'm a giants fan and have been, you know, probably a lot of guys in this area say they have been their whole lives and really aren't, but um, I have been, and it's, it kind of came about, and I don't think I thought this way as a, as a little kid, but kind of like retrospect as an adult, maybe it was just a little bit out of spite for my dad who was an A's fan. So <laughs> I think that's kind of where it came from. And then maybe, you know, probably a little bit of Barry Bonds and Matt Williams in there as the, you know, headliners when I was a little kid growing up, but Giants fan through and through. Um, and obviously that's worked out pretty well recently, but you when did you come to the game though because i when i'm thinking about uh when you were a giants fan as a kid they they really weren't that good were they no they weren't good it was just you had barry uh when he right. came over pittsburgh and you know a couple other guys you know uh the lore of will clark was still around um and you know matt williams were the the prime guys so i think it was just some more of like a locality thing 
just them being the more local club to me. And then, like I said, my dad being an A's fan, I think I'd try to stick it to him a little bit um, by becoming. <laughs> so then you still do, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that's the big part of it. Right. So. Um, so I think that's really how it came about, even though they weren't like you said, they weren't very good when I was younger. But until 2002, 2001, when they blew it against the Angels. You're in Sacramento now. You grew up in Sacramento. Yeah. And. You actually are in, that's a hotbed of baseball, right? Um, Elk Grove, I think, if I'm saying that right, Elk Grove has produced several pro players. Is that correct? Yeah, they have a, they have a bunch of guys now that are in the bigs, um, even as it is. A lot of pitchers, like right now, but a lot of their position guys are coming up. Um, and there's probably three or four guys that are like primed to make the jump to the big league probably in the next year or two. Um, so, yeah, they, they, it's been a really big hotbed um, for prospects lately. This year, they're a little down um, from what they've been, but I know there's a kid in Houston and Toronto and Colorado's got a catcher, and all those guys are kind of apparently on the track to at least make the bigs at some point. You know, it's interesting to hear you because one of the things that that Greg and Joe may not know is that you're also a coach. Uh, You've been coaching a local high school team for a few years. Uh, and so you are definitely an ultimate, uh, an ultimate competitor. What is it that you love about coaching and, and why do you, why do you engage in that? Because, you know, frankly, it's, and many times it could be thankless yet. When I think back to when I was in high school, some of the most influential people in my life were the coaches that I was playing for at that age as, as a, as a young man or an older kid, I guess you could really say. So what is it that brought you to coaching and, and why do you continue to invest so much of your time and effort and, and really love into, into that? I think you hit it, you know, mainly for me, it's that idea that, you know, as a kid, you were influenced by these guys that, you know, now in retrospect, you understand they sacrifice a lot of their time away from their families and their personal time to help you develop and become a better man and person going forward. And so you feel, you know, for me, like, I feel like that's kind of what I do it for. And just to give what I got um, back a little bit. And it, it is, it's funny you said thankless because, you know, there is a lot of misper- misconception about, like, coaching high school. For the most part, you're not winning anything. You know, there's there's always those local clubs that are, like, the teams that win everything every time. Mm-hmm. Where for majority of high school coaches, that's not the path you know you're not winning titles and praised by everybody in the community because of how many games you win it's just about impacting young men's lives and trying to hope that you can give them a better um, understanding of the world and themselves and to give them confidence to be better hopefully than when they came into your program that is so cool and and frankly dustin as i've gotten to know you and over time i'm i'm super happy for those kids that they have you. And and I know we're not going to talk about it, but I know some of the stuff you've done in terms of going above and beyond and, and what that means to you and to those kids that you work with, which is just phenomenal. And uh, I, I absolutely wish you success there. So on to fantasy baseball. Now we did a preseason podcast and we were gushing over the dreamers. Okay. Not only the, the starting lineup, but also your minors. And um, I kind of have a sense that 
you you've got quite the influence on the minor league prospecting that that is going on. Is that is that true? Is it a 50-50 split or um you know just in talking to you I know you're aware of this stuff and if so you know, how do you go about scouting the prospects? Yeah, I think it's just, I, I really think it's a pretty good collaboration between Eldon and myself. I, I wouldn't say that it's solely me or solely him that's doing, you know, the deep research on it. But, you know, when Eldon took the team over a few years ago, he kind of knew at that point that he was going to have to, you know, play for a few years down the road because there's no way to really jump right in and be competitive. So keeping in with that thread, you know, his mindset from the get-go and then when I joined was we have to be able to find those guys that are going to be valuable, maybe not instantly, but down the road um, so that either obviously they make our team better or we can use them as pieces to go get maybe a veteran that's ready to produce right now. So, you know, that's every day we're talking about this guy and this guy that kind of pops up um, out of nowhere to see if we can add him, you know, and, and play for the future. We had a long conversation last week uh about otani and uh what's interesting is is that i i i kind of was there when when the two of you eldon and you were kind of thinking about otani and he's a fascinating player have you kind of looked into this guy and you know what he could represent in the mlb or is this something more that you just kind of said okay because i know eldon was a big driver behind this that you just said, okay, Eldon, you know, we'll do this because we're co-owners. Yeah. Well, at, at first it was, yeah. Like my mindset was very much as like, yeah, okay. I mean, you know, let's, let's go for it. Let's see what happens. You know, you make that call and we're good. But yeah, since, you know, I've dug into it and I, and I've looked at, uh, looked at him from a trying to be objective, you know, and yeah, I think it's, I think it's fascinating what the perception or what the projection may be on what he can do to the game. If, you know, they're comparing, they're already throwing out the modern day uh, Babe Ruth because he'll throw and he'll hit or whatever, you know, which is blasphemous, really, for the most part. But if that's the mentality and if there's that thought that maybe some team would be willing to let him do that, that changes like the whole landscape of really like baseball as it is, which I think would be crazy and awesome at the same time. So I I don't know. Greg, I I actually heard several things that you talked about Uh, the Babe Ruth. And I love your note about that being blasphemous, Dusty. Um, but the the fact that, you know, what what could that be for Major League Baseball? Would there be a baseball team that says, look, this guy's got stuff that a lot of people say is better than you, Darvish, yet could also win a batting title? You know, is there a team that is willing to take a pitcher that's better than you, Darvish, and let him play in the field? Or would maybe even think about DHing him? And... Greg, you had a pretty pretty clear vision of where he would land in in the MLB. You know, do you want to tell Dusty about that and see if Dusty kind of agrees? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you know, thinking about Otani because Eldon had uh, texted me, uh, we exchanged some texts after the pickup, and you know, thinking about him, the Mariners just leap off the page to me as a team that would be an ideal landing spot for a guy like sure. Otani for a couple of reasons. You know, first. Uh, Ichiro is the undisputed uh, ambassador of Japanese baseball and MLB. And next to Junior, uh, I think there's no other mariner of more import than, than Ichiro. And so uh, the fact that Seattle has such a, a Pacific connection to, to Japan and you know the local community, uh, there, there's a, a strong 
Asian population in, in Seattle. Um, I think all those things bode well from kind of a cultural demographic standpoint. But beyond that, you know, we were debating just if you know a team would have the uh, open-mindedness really to allow him to yeah. pitch and play the field. And we all kind of concluded that the, the big market teams, the big spenders, the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Sox, the Yankees, um, you know, they really don't need that. They want guys to do what they do best and they invest huge sums. And so they're not into uh, risk taking beyond that. Dusty, what do you think uh, in terms of, do you think the Mariners would be a landing spot? Or Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, even if you go back and like read like early stuff with Ichiro when he first came over um, and how he was uh, just so welcomed and felt so comfortable because there was the big Asian population and that Pacific um, connection. So I know that it, when you read like what his stuff says, it was a big, easy transition, easier transition for him. So, I mean, that would jump off the page, um, like he said, to to be an easy connection, but yeah, it it's right. Like these guys spend so much money on these players and they're going to want you to do one thing and be the best you can at that one thing versus the risk of spreading yourself more thinly. And maybe you don't get everything out of them that you would, you know, otherwise. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Hope, I'm just hoping he plays outfield. Let's just make a man. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was what you said before. Right. And, you know, yeah. I think the, the value on pitching is so much greater. I think Joe brought this up right. last week is that, you know, pitching is so hard to find. And if you can get a pitcher that projects to be better than you, Darvish, uh, you right. know, do you let him play? Right. And, and I, so I like that. I like that you guys took a, took a flyer on him and, you know, could he, could he be successful? Um, Guys, think of, think about Otani in a league that allowed or had individual pitchers and not pitching staffs like our league does. You know, so Otani in a league where there's individual pitchers and, of course, the batting statistics, would he count as both? I mean, uh, th- th- he would be a revolutionary player for fantasy, too. Right. Yeah, I know most of those leagues that do individual pitchers, you know, they obviously don't factor in their hitting s- stats. You know, it's just what they do on the mound. Um, but yeah, what if he had a double tag? What if he had a pitcher and an outfield tag? You know, then what, what would happen? What would, what, how would that work? Yeah, that's crazy. Well, and, and would it even, you know, if you have a guy that's got seven games, do you put him in when he's only going to play in the field five games in a, in a week? Yeah. Bringing it back to our league, I taking a look at your DL, you have almost a starting team sitting on your DL. Um, yeah. Sanchez, Pedroia, Donaldson, Martinez, even Nimmo, uh, it, that, that's a tough thing. Yet, I take a look at your starting uh, starting team, and I think you still have a strong team. One of the things that we talked a lot about was the depth uh, of your team. And then looking at the division that you are in, that having depth and having a good starting team makes a lot of sense. What we couldn't figure out was you have a lot of young stars and we didn't know where, where they were going to go, right? You don't have three-year averages on a guy like Trevor story. And you know, what, what, what does that mean? And you know, and I, I, I'm still bullish on your team. And I think that, you know, it's early and these guys will come back from the DL 
And, you know, frankly, these are the more consistent players that you can pretty much count on, um, I think, for their for their stats. But, Joe, from your perspective, this is one of your competitors uh, in your league. And I know that you've been paying close attention to the Dreamers. You know, what do you see? Do you see, you know, is he ripe for the taking or is this something that still kind of makes you nervous? I, I think the whole preseason talk still is valid. I, I just want to break Freddie Freeman over my leg. <laughs> but uh, well, one guy that can do something, I think. You know, the, the injuries are, are killing him right now. And we've all had those those seasons. You know, the the one year I won the whole thing, I. I had a bunch of replacement players in there because my regulars were all hurt and I just happened to catch a bunch of hot streaks. So it, it, you know, it, it can, it can work in your favor if you make the right moves, but, but right now he's, he's absolutely right. The injuries are killing him. Well, and I don't see omission commission long-term taking this division. So really when you think about you, you, you both have identical records right now. Uh, you both have scored almost exactly the same amount of points. I think it's five-tenths of a point greater for the Dreamers. And you've both had points against. Dreamers have had 2.3 points against uh, greater. So, I mean, I think this division is still one that we'll be watching all the way through. Uh, Dusty, one last question, and I'll turn the microphone over to you and give you an opportunity to ask us whatever, even like, you know, what the fuck are you guys doing this for or whatever. Um, but... Uh, a big question on this is um, how has playing fantasy baseball changed your relationship to baseball overall? Has it? And if so, how, how has it changed the way you, you kind of, uh, you, uh, how has it changed your relationship with major league baseball overall? Yeah, I would say it definitely has. And it, it, it's cool because, you know, especially being out here on the far West coast, um, you know, I historically ignored, you know, if there's a four o'clock game of the Yankees Red Sox on, cause it's on four o'clock here, I'm not watching that game or I'm not paying attention really to anything that's going on over there. Just from a time standpoint, it was hard to stay engaged, but now with this extra deal we're doing, and especially with the way it's formatted where you have to go into the minors and you have to do like deep research to really pay attention. It's just made it, it's just made it cool where you're way more connected and you care a lot more about, you know, all games that are playing that day rather than who the, the Giants games and then who the Dodgers are hopefully losing to. Like that was really the extent before. That's really cool. So you actually, it's kind of like deepening your understanding of the, you know, all 30 teams in the league. And then also one of the things that I know from sitting next to you watching a ball game at spring training is you really pay attention to those minor leagues and, and you know, what's going on. And it sounds like, you know, what's going on beyond the giants, actual uh, farm teams to other farm teams. Yeah. I mean, again, it, you know, I'm kind of nerdy that way in that I, I find it cool to be the guy that maybe not discovers, but has that first thought of like, Hey, this guy's going to be good. You know, and just from that standpoint of being a manager that controls those guys, I think that's kind of a cool aspect of it too, of finding talent before anybody else really thinks they're talent. I think that's it's cool. awesome. I'm so happy that you're part of the league, and I think that you've been a great addition to the league. And I know uh, if Jack was here, he's the other host of this podcast. Uh, we've all talked about how the Dreamers have come on, 
and in just a few short years have become very relevant as opposed to a mission commission that I think still has a great team, but he's doing his rebuilding process now where I think from the very beginning, you guys started that process. And I think it's, it's benefiting and it's, it probably doesn't feel like it's showing up yet. Uh, and, and you know, maybe it won't, I, I have a feeling that it will, but as we go forward, it's going to be fun to see. So let me kind of turn the microphone over to you and, you know, what questions do you have for myself, Joe or Greg? You know, what's on your mind? Well, I mean, first off, I, I, I didn't know you guys were doing this. This is pretty cool. Um, I mean, I, I know you're probably busier now than maybe when you started this whole uh, idea, Tim, but uh, this is pretty cool. I guess I'll have to uh, start listening to podcasts now. It's a fun idea. Uh, Greg, I'll let you go in a second. It's a, it's a fun idea. Um, we don't have it up on iTunes yet. It should be up in the next couple of weeks, So, but I'll send you the file so you can listen to it. And if you, if you really want, it's, it's more of a punk rock thing than a, uh, Justin Timberlake thing at this point. I think what I did was I just brought together some guys that love baseball, love fantasy baseball. Uh, Joe is an, an old friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other for a couple of decades, maybe a little more than that. And we're both Red Sox fans. Greg What's is a couple of couple decades. When you get old enough, you'll understand a couple decades. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and Greg is a, a, a born and raised in Pittsburgh, big Pirates fan. And we thought it'd be great to document, to chronicle the season and to, to kind of meld fantasy baseball and major league baseball, two things that we really love and enjoy. Uh, and just document it in our thoughts, no matter how esoteric or how kind of out there we go to have fun with it. And we're not doing it to build an audience. We're not doing it to, you know, sell razors or anything like that. The whole idea is that we have fun, we document it, we chronicle it, and it's there. Um, and if people have fun with it, awesome. And if they don't, it doesn't matter because we're having fun with it. So it'll be interesting to get your take on that and, uh, you know, see what you like. Sorry, Greg, I, I, I talked over you there. No, no, no worries. Dusty, um, you know, I, I concur. It's, it's nice to have you in the league and, um, Tim mentioned that you're a high school coach. Just honest curiosity, what's the, you know, how, how has uh, coaching changed since the day that all of us were high school athletes? I know that there's uh, been advancements in sports medicine. There's probably a, I would imagine, a, a higher level of awareness about sports medicine. Um, and, and as a coach, how, you know, what is your responsibility in managing that and, you know, what, what's that like? Yeah, uh, it's it's funny because, you know, the cliches are like, well, back in my day, da, 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 da. And you, you feel like people always say back in my day and then they over-exaggerate like how like more difficult it was. But now, you know, I'm only 31 right now. But even so from playing in a high school 14 years ago, even till now, like it's like those back in the day stories, like those are like are legit. Like that happens. Like it's kids today, it's a way different landscape on how they train and prepare and their expectations on what they really need to do themselves to train and prepare. Um, and like you said, the awareness is higher on how to properly take care of yourself. But I think that also is like a little bit of a pitfall because then every parent or dad hmm. is an expert now on how to do this or that. So it's, I feel it. The, one of the hardest things is getting everybody that's involved, like on board into one, like central focused 
team. Like, I think it's harder to focus on a team because there's so much more individual idea because there is so much more information out there and so much more advances in how we can share that information that people, you know, they have their own idea of what's best. Well, then that becomes the only way to do it. And they don't, there's not a lot of wiggle room anymore for, well, maybe this other thought process or this other idea can work too. So it, it kind of goes both ways from being better that they're prepared, but then also like it can go over the top of, well, no, what you're saying doesn't, I read this article, and whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I was curious about. I mean, and certainly I want and support a healthier approach to sports, but you know, I never questioned my coaches. I remember right. having a severe ankle break in a soccer game um, and my coach told me just to walk it off, walk it off. And I kept telling him, coach, I think my ankle's broken. And he's just, and, he, and I ended up walking the whole second half of the game up and down the sidelines on a broken ankle for fear of not questioning my coach's authority again. Right. And so, right. I mean, I, I think it's good that there's a lot of awareness, but I can imagine that it would be challenging when you have a bunch of individuals and, and high school students who have that know-it-all perspective uh, to a certain extent saying, you know, coach, no, I think uh, I think I need to sit this one out or I, I think I'm okay. That must be a challenge. So kudos to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's sickly. That's kind of like part of like the intrigue for me too is like, all right, so you do have these other personalities and the other thought processes. At the end of the day, though, we all have to be on the same mindset. So, like, how do you deal with this um, personality that is maybe very stubborn and hardcore and another personality where you can tell them, to, like you said, go run through a wall and they'll do it? <laughs> you know, so that chess match is kind of intriguing. It's very frustrating, but it is also kind of intriguing because it makes you – as and as a coach, like you have to expand your, you know, kind of thoughts too, and be a little bit more flexible where maybe you wouldn't have before. Does that include communicating with your, with your, with your uh, players? So like, you know, texting, Snapchat, I mean, do you have to have lines there, Dusty? Or uh, is that something that's really commonly accepted now? I was watching a lacrosse match with Miles the other day. And um, they were talking about Coach Petromala, coach of of uh, Hopkins, and how he's using bit emojis now, and that that somehow connected him with this, with his athletes better. And I just thought to myself, "Oh God!" And then I thought, "Oh man, I'm 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 an old fucker now. You know, I, that's that's what I am." And you know, is that is that something that you do use, or is is there still like where do you put the boundaries now? Yeah. I personally try to not get so personally involved in that communication. I just think for me, it can only lead to potentially something taken out of context or taking whatever. Um, so I, I try to limit my communication to just about what really needs to be said versus that kind of thing and leave the personal relationship building more you know face to face but like you said that is harder now because today's society we don't have those face-to-face conversations like that's not really how we communicate for the most part anymore anyway so the kids definitely aren't comfortable with it because they have no idea what to do because they don't do that at all um so there is you you do have to try and pick and choose your battles on on when to do that because if you don't connect to them on a personal level then you won't get them to do the things that you need to do 
Um, so I, I, that that's a big battle for me on trying not to be their guy off hours, if you will. You know, I think there needs to be a boundary that you're their coach rather than your their friend. But you also need to ensure them that as their coach, like you have their best interests. So sometimes that's hard to do. That's incredibly hard to do, man. That and to hear you talk about it and the level of sophistication you have in talking about it is super impressive. Um, do you want to like pump Joe for competitor information to find out, you know, what he's looking to do so that you can kind of beat him in this well, division? Yeah, I mean, I, I just you know think it, it, it's a gentleman's league from what I've heard. Um, so you know, if our <laughs> yeah, I said fifty fifty. Uh, you know, if our starting catcher and starting third baseman and best starting outfielder are all out, I just think it's, you know, fair for him to sit his guys. But I mean, yeah, that, I'm just throwing that out there. You, you know, you can do what that you want, but, you know, uh, that was an epic yeah. game this week. <laughs> it, it's just, yeah, we're, it's just ugly for us right now. Like, uh, there's no, it, it's funny, you know, you guys are saying we have depth and I think we did. I think we went into the year with decent depth. But it's definitely different from like your tiers, you know, your tier one guy versus your tier two guy. While you think that guy can be competitive for you, um, they're the reason why they're not the tier one guy is because they're not as consistent. And when your best guys are out where you can have consistent production, you know, week in, week out, um, what I think we're finding right now is our tier two guys, or some case our tier three guys they'll have a day where they explode and then they'll do nothing for three or four days. And so you get low scores for the week and you just get run over a little bit. So that's been, I think for us, just kind of where it's, it's ugly um, is we just don't get that consistent production day to day out of our um, tier two or tier three guys that are having to play right now. Well, if you want to let Freddie Freeman uh, teach Carlos Correa how to hit again, I, I would appreciate that. Mm. Well, yeah, and, and Tim dropped Frisco <laughs> on us, and he's dog shit right now. So thanks, Tim. <laughs> so, so I would actually, I'm curious because I have a nephew that that is in his senior year in high school and is trying to decide where he's going to go to college. And his dad played baseball at Stetson and and here in Florida, and uh, so he's he's sort of been pushing him to play baseball all these years and he enjoys it and he's okay at it. He's good enough that he'll be able to play in college, but he doesn't love it. And I'm curious what, what the passion for the game that you see as a coach is, you know, is, is the future of baseball in good shape? Are there kids that love the game? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, Tim alluded to, you know, Elk Grove high school, which is where I coach and, you know, where I've grown up, um, it being a big, I mean, it's a big time baseball school, especially for the area. Um, so for me, like, yeah, you see that, like they have, they'll have 40 or 50 kids out for freshman tryouts every year and 30 or 40 more for JV. And obviously that, you know, the pyramid goes up. So there's less and less, but there's a ton of kids in this area where I'm at, where baseball is fully alive and well, um, and, you know, more to your nephew's kind of take. I think that is the biggest factor now, though, because there is so much um, more information and there's all these personal trainings and there's all these things that are available that the guys that are going to, you know, play in college, play at the next level, 
those are the ones that really separate themselves just because of the love and the passion that they personally have. Um, anybody now can get an ex-baseball player that's a trainer, you know, and we'll work them out a few days a week. But it's those kids that, you know, really feel desperately enough that they want that versus, yeah, I can do this just because it's available. You know what I mean? So I, I think that's kind of where those kids that make the next leap uh, differentiate themselves the most. Do you think there are as many of them now as there were when, say, you were playing as a kid? Um, I, I don't. Like, I know, you know, personally speaking, from, like, my basketball program, you know, I feel there are a bunch of guys in my program, and, you know, they're in the program and they're on the team just because, you know, they're talented enough. But I know not all of them are, like, in love with it. You know, they've just been kind of good at it, and now it's something to kind of do, and it's more of a social club for a lot of guys than it is just they want to be competitors. Um, and the level of competitiveness and that drive to just give it your best, that I think that's lacking a lot. And that's frustrating as a coach because especially, like, you know, at a public school, like, you're not recruiting guys. You don't have, like, guys that are basketball guys coming to you. It's you have the kids that are part of the student body, and whether they have that or not, you know, that's who you're coaching. And so sometimes that's frustrating because you know they can do more if they just gave a shit a little bit more. You yeah. know what I, mean? I, I got to tell you, man, thank you so much for being a part of this. Uh, I, I got to tell you, anytime you want to participate in this, just let me know. We'd love to have you on. It seems like this is a format that you would have a lot of fun with. And, uh, you know, just your conversational manner just plays out really well. And um, again, I think there's a lot of respect for your fantasy team that you put here. You know that me personally, I have a lot of respect for you as a human being. And, um, you know, you have a beautiful wife and two beautiful children. And I know that I took time away from them to do this. And I just wanted to say, thank you. I appreciate that. And, uh, um, well, thank you. No, I'm, I, I'm glad to be a part. I'm glad uh, you invited me. This is, this is cool. And yeah, I hope to, uh, do it more. Uh, this is, this is fun. Yeah. And I nice have one more question. The guys oh. that I hate so much. So <laughs> I have one more question. Is it true yeah. that Elvin is a Dodgers fan? He is so fucking weird. Like, I don't understand that guy. So, so he, no, I, I'm just trying to get my head around this family that has an A's fan a Giants fan and a Dodgers fan. Yeah, yeah, and and he's just and he's just a big piece of shit, really. So he's a Sacramento he's a Sacramento kid, and he's a Dodger fan and a fucking Dallas Cowboys fan. Like I don't understand how that happened, where he like signed with the devil twice in two different sports. Like I don't get it. Well, it seemed like he could pick at least one team that could win a championship. Yeah, right. Yeah, keep keep signing zeros <laughs> on it, but never bringing home hardware. Yeah, I don't get it, but uh, yeah. So I give him, I give him crap about that all the time. Like that's if if he ever says anything that irks me, like I just bring up that you know his teams never win anything and they spend all the money in the world and they still suck. But um, and you should hear the two of them go at it. It's pretty fun. It's it's <laughs> it's pretty fun. Yeah, I I I have to give the edge to Dusty. Dusty, it just he he will go at it harder. I guess maybe his want is higher, <laughs> but he can just get him. Uh, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's definitely a sight to behold, dude. Thank you. I really appreciate you being a part of this and uh, my love to your family. And I really appreciate you uh, just dropping the shovel and, and coming and talking to us. Yeah, oh thank yeah. You, Dusty. Not a problem. Thanks for having me. And like Thanks, I said, uh, anytime, uh, you know, just let me know. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll take you up on that. Don't worry about it. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. All right, Dusty. We'll see you, man. Well, guys, well, worst of luck to you all. Talk to you later. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. For his own. Um, all right, good take, guys. Uh, I really like that. Um, uh, it was a fun week last week to watch. I mean, obviously, winning is easier, um, but um, uh, Greg, it's going to come back, man. Like, yeah, well, you've had well, some I mean, rotten like, luck too, man. Let's face I mean, it. I mean, yeah, but- guys, I, I I enjoy the rebuild as much as the the rotten. So it'll be all either way. It's all good. Well, it, and I think one of the things. Uh, Greg, is that we were all heaping praise on your team, and you were like, guys, I'm not seeing it. And frankly, the team is playing out the way you thought it would. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, you made a great... I, I must admit, after a week one win, I was like, maybe I was wrong. Maybe <laughs> I am going to win everything this year. Yes! Well, if I recall, <laughs> what you said was, it could go either way. Yeah. So you saw both sides of it. Yeah, I, I think we were all more optimistic than you were. Um, yeah, my veterans have faltered and my young players have failed to progress. That's a deadly combination. So, And I have no fucking pitching. I, no matter what, I knew that I needed the Cubs to be a dominant force. Uh, and they're just not. Right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and again, you know, two wins in a row and it's a very different... Uh, right, absolutely. Different yeah. setup. Yep. Now, Joe, I, I many years ago you talked to me about a thesis paper you wrote on free agency and its impact on the game, and so I'd like you to share with Greg and myself what that paper was all about, and specifically what you think you got right, what you think maybe you didn't get right, because I thought it was a pretty prescient. Uh, uh, prediction on your part as to what was going to happen, and I'm trying to think back what it would be like to look at free agency from that vantage point and say, okay, I'm going to project out over the next 10 years what this is going to to be like. So why don't you take it away? Okay. Well, it was, it was a, I would call it a research paper because I was in, I believe I was a sophomore in high school. I could be wrong about that. I might've done it when I was in Germany. I really don't remember. Um, and did I ever actually show it to you? Because I physically found it at one point. You did not. Okay, well, it's in the garage somewhere, so I will dig it out and make sure that you get to see it. But um, essentially, it was it was an English assignment, and I uh, decided, well, okay, if I'm going to spend all this time in the library and not get to read what I want, I'm going to read about baseball. They had a subscription to Sports Illustrated. I got the sporting news at home, and it was a hot topic at that point. So if I was a sophomore in high school, it was it was either somewhere between 76 and 78 when I wrote this thing. And, and if you remember, 72, I think, was the Kurt Flood case. Mm-hmm. And um, 
then it was, let's see, it was, was it McNally and Dave McNally and somebody else that, that Marvin Miller tried to convince to play for a year without signing a contract. Um, and then you had, uh, it all led up to Catfish Hunter and he, you know, and I've done some reading in the past couple of days, so I think I've got these facts straight. But he he essentially was angry at, at uh, Charlie Finley, who owned the A's, because he part of his his uh, compensation was supposed to be that he was going to get a uh, an insurance policy and some some college money put aside for his kids. And Finley didn't do that. And Marvin Miller took it to arbitration and won. So Catfish Hunter ended up being the actual first guy that that benefited from free agency and he and he signed a, a multi-million dollar contract and I, I actually looked up what the average salary was in 1978 um there's a, there's a nice pdf online from major league baseball about the average salaries in 1978 the minimum salary was twenty one thousand dollars the average salary was was ninety nine thousand eight hundred seventy six dollars. Wow! And that's, so that seems high, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, you figure in nineteen seventy eight, my dad bought a, a car in nineteen seventy five, a Pontiac station wagon that cost him five thousand dollars, and he didn't know how he was going to pay it off. You know, so that was a lot of money back then. Yeah, my dad had a guy killed for like one hundred and fifty bucks back in seventy eight. <laughs> there you go. So we'll have to get into that one, uh, Greg, yeah, sometime I can't later. Yeah, I wait to hear that story. Yeah, yeah. So uh, my my in in researching this, you know, there there were lots of points of view. It was going to ruin the game. It was going to you're never going to have anybody play for the same team. I, I can remember as a fan, even even in my lifetime, I remember people saying Carl Yastrzemski was going to be the last guy to play his entire career for one team. Well, obviously he wasn't, but the, the, the main question I guess that I was trying to answer was, is it going to be good for the game? What's in, 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 in addition to that, what's it going to do to the game? And I, I, don't remember the specific numbers that I was talking about, but, I was saying at some point you're going to have average players making a million dollars a year. Well, that seems laughable now, mm. but it did happen that way. Um, you know, it was just, it was just a, I guess, I guess my take from it was that I thought it was going to be bad for the game because I thought, you know, I, I even at that age without, you know, working for a living and supporting myself, I realized that the fans are actually the ones that, pay those salaries and and was that going to i i felt like i guess that was going to put the game out of reach for some people you're, you're not going to be able to afford to go to a game anymore well that's true in some cases and, and maybe that's part of why the game isn't quite as popular as it was when we were young i don't think it's been bad for the game in that you know for every free agent that you lose you're picking up a free agent i think where it's done damage to the game is is a team like pittsburgh for instance they can't just go out and buy a free agent to plug a hole whereas yeah, the yankees red sox and, and those folks can do that now that doesn't buy you success witness 
the Yankees for many, many years when they tried to buy pennants and they couldn't. But they did buy a few, you know, and, 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 you know, and I think your point, Joe, free agency isn't inherently unfair, but I think free agency in a sport that has not adopted a salary cap is patently unfair and, and has led to uh, the perpetual have-nots and the haves, you know, punctuated by the occasional outlying performance like the Royals of a few years ago. But even they, you know, didn't get it done. But um, I, I think free agency uh, in and of itself would offer teams in a salary-capped environment some hope that, you know what, even if our um, uh, our managerial staff bungles player development, um, we all have a chance to get some players. But that, that hasn't happened in baseball, and I think I agree that that may be tied to the, the loss in popularity where in every other major sport there's some semblance of of equity so that it does matter if you have a skilled GM and a, and a good coach and a good farm system. Those are all elements that work together, whereas in baseball, yeah, having a good farm system is important, dot, 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 for those teams that don't have money to spend in free agency. And so well, and, it's and almost as if there's two, there's two different ways to operate in, in baseball. I, I think that's absolutely true. And, and, you know, I hate to bring this particular team up knowing that you're a Pirates fan, but look at the Cardinals. You know, they, they will pick up a free agent once in a while, but they haven't, they constantly are, are putting money into their farm system. They let, you know, they let Albert Pujols go because he wanted way more money than he was worth at that point in his career. He wanted to be paid for what he'd already done. And the Angels are not going to be competitive for a long time because they signed him for that amount of money. And and the Cardinals are, are probably a good example of what a, a medium to small market team can do if they do it the right way. They're, they're not necessarily the best team out there, but they've got a chance. Um, you know, they go to the NFL and you look at, at Tim's team, the Patriots, they, they, Pick up free agents. They let them go when they're when they're at the end of their value to them. They they draft well. You know they're there's they're doing it the right way. I think you make the perfect point, and I think the Cardinals are the best example of that in baseball of a team that is operating very much in a way that I would envision a team to operate if there were a salary cap. Because it certainly wouldn't be the amount of money that the Cubs or the the Sox or the Dodgers or the Yankees pay players and teams. Their pay, team payroll wouldn't be like that. But the Cardinals are never among the bottom ten in terms of payroll. They don't go crazy. They're 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 smart. And I God, it pains me to say that that they are they are smart in that they they do focus on player development. But when they see some specific needs that they can fill be a free agency, even higher price ones like a Dexter Fowler or Hayward a few years ago, um, they're, or uh, Johnny Peralta, you know, at the time, uh, they're not opposed to going out and getting those players. And so, you know, what their payroll is relative to the top and relative to the bottom is what I imagine a world with a payroll or with a uh, salary cap would look like in Major League Baseball. 
Well, and it's got to scare you even more that that now all of a sudden the Cubs seem to be sane, you know, having Theo there because they've got the money to to make that one move that they need to do to fill a hole. They can outbid as anybody if they want. To. Oh, absolutely. So I've had uh, I, I read a really interesting article this week about Moneyball, and, and this is a seminal book in my life. I mean, it is it changed the way that I view many things in my world, professionally, uh, fantasy baseball, a number of things. And it was actually a criticism of the book. And essentially what it was saying is that the, the, the premise that somehow Billy Bean found an advantage, and we romanticize this in the Hollywood setting, we romanticize this in the book, was bullshit. And that in reality... They had three stud pitchers, and that's why they were <laughs> successful. And when you look at the pitching statistics, it's because they had these three horses, uh, and those three horses are, are what really drove the success. And that, in fact, they were having more success um, because of those three horses against teams like the Yankees than anything else. So that was number one. That was a, that was a paradigm shift for me. I think number two... Uh, not having a salary cap, or at least this kind of impression of a salary cap, which there is there is a salary cap. It's the luxury tax, and it does seem to be painful enough that teams will shy away from it, and yet are still willing to go over it when they need to. It's kind of an interesting kind of mix. But some um, teams can't do that. But some teams can't yeah. do that. And I think the point is, is that the rich teams can make more mistakes. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I think about this league in particular— I know there are some owners that really think about the transactions and that, you know, putting that extra five or 10 bucks in really does make a difference. And I've been lucky that I haven't had to worry about that, which means I can make more trades and I can, I can spend more money on getting the right player without having to worry about that. That not, that, that's not coming factoring in. It doesn't mean that I can't compete against that other owner in the open market and tag Otani before someone else does. Not that I would want Otani, but you know, you, you know where I'm going there. And that someone like Theo, actually, when you look at the stuff that he hit on and missed on in when he was with the Red Sox, is actually he could just buy his way out of mistakes that unfortunately smaller uh, market teams can't like the pirates. Well, and I was going to, I was right. going to use what happened after Theo left with Adrian Gonzalez and, and all of those mistakes. And we just Lee got it. the Dodgers to take him and got them to overpay for that. Him. That was crazy. Well, we bought our way out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you look at the pirates, like last year we traded Liriano, Francisco Liriano. You know, we signed him for, I was happy when we signed Liriano to a three years, $39 million contract two years ago. I thought, you know what? That's a good investment. The guy's uh, a good pitcher, and by pirate standards, uh, a really solid pitcher. But then he faltered, and that $13 million salary became very unpalatable. And we just couldn't afford to trade him away and pay half his salary. We had to find somebody who would take his entire salary. And to do that, what did we do? We traded away Liriano, his $13 million salary, and two of our top minor league prospects, Reese McGuire, catching prospect among them. And in return, we got back a broken AAA starter uh, who they could kind of 
put some polish on and say that Ray Searage could, our pitching coach could whip him into shape. But we had to pay with prospects to dump a contract, you know, and, and that's the disadvantage that we have. And in knowing that, even though we were all happy that they signed Liriano, uh, it, it's got a way on our, our general manager the next time they're contemplating uh, signing a pitcher in the offseason. They, they got drilled because they didn't sign any uh, competent starters in the offseason. And it has to be in the back of Littlefield's mind that if I do that and the guy falters in a year and a half, who from our minor league system that we worked so hard to build, am I going to have to give, give away to get rid of the next uh, Yvonne Nova now? You know, he, he's the right. next guy that if he falters next year, we're going to be giving away two prospects so somebody will relieve us of him, of his salary. And I do remember that that was one of the points that I made in the, in the paper that I wrote was that, that we were essentially going back to a system where players were going to go to the good teams. So you, you look back at the 50s when the Yankees were winning every year and they had their pick of young players before a draft where they were, you know, a draft system where, where they could just sign a guy. They'd, they'd give them a $5,000 bonus and say, here, now you're a Yankee. And I, I, my feeling was that we were going to go back to those days where the, the, I didn't, I wasn't sophisticated enough to, to think of it in terms of, of who had the money, but you're, you're going back to a time when, okay, now, there's there's four or five teams that, that are going to get all the, the the pick of the free agents and, and everybody else is going to be fighting over the dregs and, and it's going to be a, a closed system where you're going to have tiers of teams that these are the teams that are going to be competing for championships these are the teams that every once in a while are going to get a taste and these folks never have a chance you know I look at the NBA and I think they're I'm not a huge NBA fan but I think they're getting it right from a competitive balance standpoint. I mean, free agents are choosing to go to Oklahoma City. They're choosing to go to Golden State, you know, the Clippers. I mean, uh, Toronto, these are teams that, um, you know, they they don't have that star appeal. You're not going to go be a Laker or a Celtic or, you know, be partying on South Beach with, um, you know, with Will Smith if you're a Miami Heat. But, but the, the NBA, and they're not spendthrifts. I mean, they're certainly spending massive amounts of money, but they have it structured so that there's, you know, that it's really a player looking at what is the most competitive situation. Where do I have the opportunity to win? I'm not worried about my personal brand. I'm going to go focus on winning because I'm going to get paid. I'm going to get paid whether I go to Cleveland, whether I go to the Bucks, or whether I go to the Pacers. I'm going to get paid. So let me choose the best situation for me as a player and that's, well, that's what you can hope for that's the best you can hope for that's an interesting point too because the reality is is that if it was all about where's what's best for me as a player part of that is your your financial your your income why would anybody choose outside of the fact that those are the popular teams. Why would a player uh, in any professional sport want to play in New York, Massachusetts, or California? Because you're going to pay so such a high income tax rate. You're going to make some of that up in endorsements that you're not going to get in a place like Oklahoma City. But there's something yeah, to be said for that's, for... that's exactly it. That's exactly why, it. Why doesn't Florida get all the great players? There's no state income tax here. 
Yeah, that that's I think what you've done is you've nailed it right there is that, you know, um, these are, you know, California, Massachusetts, right, New York. These are high population centers and the teams can get you endorsements. Right. So that your mm -hmm. net your net value. Right. And I guess there. that's how you make up the money. Andy. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I thought the same thing about Texas. Why wouldn't you go to Texas? No income tax. I mean, you know, and you, if you're playing in Baltimore, right, you're paying, you know, a, a huge it was six, seven percent income tax. So that that's a massive difference uh, when when you're talking about the teams. But, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of stunned at is I always thought this is when you were at Kansas writing this paper. I did not know it was a high school no, paper. I was it was I was somewhere between. I thought you were junior in college. grade. No. And okay, so okay, first thing that I learned. Second, no, I'm older than it seems. Second, <laughs> um, well, I didn't know you wrote it right around the time free agency was coming. I actually thought you wrote it a little after. But here, here, my my point is, is that for an eighth grader, that's some pretty heavy shit. Number one, I mean, just to be thinking about that or ultra nerdy. I don't know what what yeah, way you want to look at this. Yeah, that's but what it is. Golly, all right. So, um, but. Let's kind of like let's just kind of do something here. So, you were talking about free agency back in the late seventies and what it was going to do to the game. What is fantasy baseball going to look like ten years from now? So, uh, in one of the earlier episodes, I talked about defensive metrics, and it was um, we were talking about Hayward, and I think Jack was throwing some serious shade on Hayward, and I talked about defensive metrics. And I think about the power, the computing power that we have now, the ability to, we don't have to look at a box score. We can just have it uh, loaded up on the internet. I think in 10 years, I think defensive metrics will be a an integral component of fantasy baseball. And I think all this knowledge, you heard Dusty even talk about the fact that it expanded his knowledge of the game and he's more aware of other teams that are playing on the opposite coast that I, I think defensive metrics are going to be something that we're going to be um, in our player draft. We're going to be competing uh, for those players that have amazing defensive profiles and offensive profiles. So a Jackie Bradley Jr., for example, becomes the Mike Trout uh, uh, or Jackie Bradley Jr. like player becomes about Mike Trout like player in 2027. Would, what do you guys not think? Be, compare a Mike Trout to an Ozzie Smith. Who's more valuable to mm. their team? And again, I hate to bring up the Cardinals, but it's just dude. A, what are you doing, to, poor head. Greg, man? <laughs> He's bringing I, out that Cardinal red, I, Joe. It's, it's just well, I lived in the Midwest for a long time, so I, I I was outside Royal Stadium when the Royals won that World Series that stole it from the Cardinals. That well, was. That was a fun day. So I, I don't dislike the Cardinals, you know, just because LaRusso is a maniac. You know, they're a good team. With a bad wig. Yeah. Oh, and you know, and a menace on the freaking roads, let's face it. You know, stay off the roads if LaRusso's in town. But um you know, it, it's it, it's because they're good. It's because they're competitive. You know, you, you don't you don't hate the, the, the foe that you vanquish every day. It's the ones that cause you pain, you know. And they did. Yeah, well, I, I, but seriously, would it would it not be cool to be able to compare those two players? Just well, you know, we should. If you chose some pretty solid like defensive run save, and maybe you know uh, zone rating, and and just applied it to Ozzy, and, and say, okay, we're going to give a what, what's a defensive run save? What's the equivalent offensive statistic? Is it a, a run? 
let's let's use a Dave Parker, who was probably yeah, oh, yeah. think he was faster than Mike Trout. I don't know. I mean, but I mean, outfield assists. I mean, uh, you know, uh, you should get extra game assist. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, we could probably come up with some. You know, let's let's talk about what a rough some two or three. Let's identify two or three defensive statistics and and assign them an equivalent value to something in offense, and then choose some players, some offense. You know, some you know Joey Bats. Versus Dwight Evans, and talk about what what that comparison looks like. I think we'll be able to do that. I, I think the 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 analysis and the statistics are, are only going to get better. And, and you know, there's so many brilliant people out there that are that are interested in this stuff now. Well, and I think that the I think the fantasy baseball is not going to be the tail. Uh, it's going to be the dog, though, because. I don't think your average, I mean, even people who are pretty passionate baseball fans, I don't hear a lot of chatter at ballparks about defensive run save, you know, but I think that um, fantasy baseball, the more that fantasy sports in general become popular, that's going to drive the conversation to the game. So it'll be what art imitating life um, where because it's important in fantasy, might it become important in, in real baseball, might not, you know, you look at it with defensive shifting and so forth. You know, to what extent is, is the the spotlight being shown on things that are important from a fantasy perspective to get the real baseball people thinking like, oh, yeah, maybe that is worthy of my thoughts. That, you know, I, that is a really interesting uh, take on, you know, the potential of, fantasy moving over to baseball i think we've asked so we've asked each other we asked dusty you know what do you think the future of this game is and the fact of the matter is is that fantasy baseball at least for people who are predisposed fantasy baseball has helped us kind of rediscover that love of the game and deepen our love of the game could that possibly appeal to people outside the game i think that's uh, that's interesting number one number two um I used to watch uh, ESPN used to do uh, going, going gone on baseball tonight. And it was awesome. It was home runs. And, and it's really instilled in me, this love of the long ball. I still like watching them. But what I've found is over the last few years, I've very much appreciated the defensive plays. And I'm, I'm getting to the point now where I'm appreciating the positioning before the balls hit, the reaction, the decision, split as uh, split second decision as to where to move the ball to, and getting into that and starting to realize that if I if there was a way, and I don't even think the metrics have been developed yet, I really honestly don't, but that getting the metrics in place and then being able to compute those and and really being able to identify that that I uh, you know very very real possibility ten years from now we could we could actually be talking about very different set of players based on these defensive metrics. It's such a, an important part of the game has always been a part of the game. We just didn't know how to capture it back in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties. Right. But now we're starting to do that. Secondly, I think we'll be able to actually watch a game, a condensed game of our team against the other team. Um, as it, it, you know, it's being played, whether it's a hologram, or in virtual reality. And I think mm. I think about that, right? So maybe we can watch an eight-minute condensed version at the end of the night of uh, Smoke Limpathetics beating uh, Ronin 47 
in a in a pivotal uh, pivotal game, and I'm seeing his players come to plate, and my pitching staff pitch right. against him, and then yeah. you know, and likewise, and and I I think that you know to me that'd be pretty exciting, right? So you have a player at the plate, the player hits a a, a frozen rope to left center, it drops in, and the 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 computing power is such that you it actually maps in my left fielder, my center fielder, right? Right. Um, on that, and then you know, vice versa. So I I don't know. I think that you know this is a, a an endeavor that will just become more ingrained, uh, not less ingrained. I think that's great. I think that's exactly right with a virtual reality. That would be so cool. I'd love it. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I would watch that. Right, I would too. And I actually think so. I can sit down with Miles, who gives me crap about baseball all the time. My seventeen year old son plays lacrosse, which is a high high speed sport. And yet he will sit and watch the highlights with me. So I'll have MLB network on and he'll he'll watch them. And he's like, yeah, I can, you know, this is cool. This is interesting. So think about that. In five minutes you could have a fantasy baseball game. Would that actually spark some interest for him in on such a level that, you know, he then may start saying, hey, that was pretty cool. So it'll definitely be short attention span short attention span theater. Exactly. Um, you know, and I'm even seeing that with myself, but to Greg's point, the dog wagging the tail, mm-hmm. right? Then Major League Baseball, which I think Major League Baseball has embraced fantasy sports better than any other uh, 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 Major League sport. I've played fantasy hockey. I've played fantasy basketball, fantasy football, of course. Um, I think fantasy football, uh, I think the NFL is actually. Yeah, yeah that's with DraftKings. It's pretty close. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. So uh, I, I think that's the case. Well, um, this has been a great segment. Thank you, Joe. Um, uh, really appreciate the fact that you're such a nerdy uh, uh, eighth grader. Uh, what we'd really like to do is get uh, copies of, of that paper. So if you could scan that paper and a picture of your. Um, I'm going to have to dig it out of the. We need you to do that because we're going to put it on the we're going to put it on the blog so uh, everybody okay. can read. So, well, then uh, we're going to do a deeper dive, Joe, where we're going to take your teacher's comments <laughs> and we're going to track down that that guy or gal and interview them for the podcast. Oh, so that so would when, be when awesome. you read when you read Joe's paper, what did you think about that? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what a nerdy kid killed themselves by this point. So. <laughs> Can't believe I had to teach that kid. <laughs>